0: This is channel 253.
1: In this episode of Give Me the Mic.
0: The university's greatest resource is its people and being able to support those people in what they do. And really a university and the University of Washington, I mean, one of the pillars of that is our scholarship and our research and modeling that and involving our students in that process is really, really important part of what we do.
1: Channel 253 is a member-supported podcast network. I'm producer Doug Mackey, and I'm asking you to become a member and show your support. Go to channel253.com slash membership to join. Thank you.
2: Give me the mic. the mic. Hello and welcome to Give Me the Mic. Um, uh, This is a podcast of channel 253 here in the South Puget Sound. This podcast features community voices and community topics. My name is Julie Masura and I will be hosting a number of episodes focusing on the state of the Puget Sound. I will have a series of invited guests join me to talk about their experiences studying the Puget Sound and how that work has led them to their current positions. All will be connected uh, to our neighborhood, the 253. So Tacoma, it's time to give me the mic. I came to Tacoma in 1975 when my father was stationed at McCord Air Force Base. I grew up in Tacoma. I went to the Tacoma School District from first through 12th grades. I'm a proud Lincoln High School graduate. I spent my undergraduate and graduate career Um, at the Washington State University where I studied geology. After a number of adjunct teaching jobs up and down the I-5 corridor, I returned to Tacoma to join the faculty at the University of Washington Tacoma. I remember as a small child smelling the Tacoma aroma from the paper mill, eating the dirt in my backyard and not being able to swim in the water in downtown Tacoma. I recall getting swimmers itch from Wapato Lake. All these things I soon connected to the state and environment as I taught a number of environmental science classes at the University of Washington. That's what brings me here. I wanted to share my experience with studying the Puget Sound with a number of badass women in science from our region. We'll share our connection with one another, stories of research experiences and their journeys along the way. Again, welcome to Give Me the Mic. So, my next guest this uh, episode is Dr. Cheryl Greenrove. I'm thrilled to have you here, Cheryl. Cheryl's an associate professor and she's the associate vice chancellor for research at the University of Washington Tacoma. Cheryl, welcome. Thanks, Julie. Appreciate it. Yeah. So, um, show me a little bit. Yeah, will not you tell me a little bit about yourself? You know, kind of like that elevator pitch.
0: I don't know if you you know get to know someone in an elevator. Uh, so uh, so I've been at University of Washington Tacoma since 1996. I was hired as one of the first two faculty science faculty at University of Washington Tacoma. So uh, they hired two of us at that time: uh, a physical scientist, which is myself. I'm a I'm an oceanographer, and then a biological scientist, David Secord, Uh, And it and it just so happens he was a marine biologist, so our crossover point was saltwater, and so uh, so we started all of science at UW Tacoma with uh, with actually an expertise in saltwater, uh, which is perfect for being on the Puget Sound. So uh, we started in the liberal studies program, and uh, it was all of campus is a very interdisciplinary type curriculum, and so they wanted to start natural sciences and natural science. Uh, major that was interdisciplinary so we started environmental science and that's how it all started we were in rented space in downtown Tacoma uh, right by the 11th street bridge in the Perkins building and uh, now we have a beautiful campus across from all the downtown museums yeah well that's wonderful
2: yeah and I I can't wait to talk a lot more about kind of how you got here But before we begin really getting into the podcast today, I I always like to start my uh, sessions with a question. Cheryl, what is the nerdiest thing you did this past week?
0: Uh, The nerdiest thing. Well, let's see. (laughs) I actually uh, stayed up late last night uh, uh, putting together little maps of nutrient data from the west coast of Vancouver Island uh, that are all color-coded by year to look at marine heat waves coming on shore on the west coast of Vancouver Island from like 2013 to 2019. And one of my students is doing their capstone on this. And we've she's finally got all the maps done and I just pulled them all together so I could lay them out uh, on my dining room table and kind of see if there were any patterns. So that That's actually what I did last night for fun. That's so cool.
2: Cheryl, that's so funny that you said that because I was up late last night writing up a report uh, or at least drafting a summary for a report. um, And I was really getting into it for the Puget Sound partnership for the project that we're working on looking at harmful algae in the Puget Sound. So, And I started nerding out too and I lost so much sleep just like you. Kind of getting into the literature and reading stuff and looking at maps and making maps. So, gosh, girl, you're 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 awesome. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> we share lots of uh, like nerdiness. I love it. So let's go ahead and back you way up. Cheryl's been around for a couple of years. You know, she started in nineteen. Uh, I was going to say nineteen sixty nine, but it's ninety six, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm <laughs> not that started- old. No, <laughs> she started in 1996 in Tacoma. But before that, I want you to share with me. When did you decide you wanted to become a scientist? When did you know that you were going to become a scientist?
0: Well, um, as a kid, I was always interested in science, and so when you know, when I was little, I wanted to be an astronaut. And so at about age 10, you know, I told my dad, you know, I want to be an astronaut, and and he said, "Okay," but then he informed me that because I had asthma, they might not take me. And so, at age ten, I was crushed. And then I thought, "Well, what else can I do?" And so I thought, "Well, um, I want to explore some other, some other part of the universe that's uh, that we don't know much about." And and I love the ocean. We used to go to the beach all the time as a kid. And my grandfather had a boat and uh used to take us crabbing and fishing and i thought well we don't know a lot about the ocean uh and i love science and so i could study the ocean so at age 10 i decided to be an oceanographer which my father found uh a little odd he told me so he said you know i talked to all the other parents and their kids don't know what they're doing and you're going to be an oceanographer so and so i grew up and i became an oceanographer so um You know, I went when I was, I don't know, about 12 with my grandparents to Woods Hole and Oceanographic Institute. And I I walked up to the front desk and I said, hi, I want to be an oceanographer. And they kind of looked down the front desk at me and (laughs) handed me a little pamphlet and said, major in one of the sciences and then come back and see us. So I said, "Okay." so, uh, you know, so I, I love science and I love being outdoors. That was the other thing. I didn't want to sit at a desk my whole life. So I wanted to combine sort of my love of outdoors and 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 I like being physically active and and I love science and exploring new things and learning new things and so uh, so I ended up uh, I went to a small liberal arts college in Pennsylvania, Moravian College, and I ended up majoring in physics uh, because I really liked those professors. I could have done chemistry or or one of the others. I had a minor in math, um, but uh, I ended up majoring in physics, and then I went to uh, Lamont. Uh, now called Lamont Earth uh, Observatory, um, yeah. which is the, uh, uh, the research institution associated with Columbia University. So I got my PhD from Columbia University in physical oceanography. But what was nice about that is the degree you get there is very interdisciplinary. Like I had to know marine geology and atmospheric physics and uh, a whole slew of other areas of earth sciences in order to become an oceanographer. So it wasn't, it wasn't a narrow training. It was a broad training with an area of expertise, and that has served me very well in building the uh, the programs that you dubbed Tacoma because you needed to be a jack of all trades. So yeah. Uh, so yeah. So that's how I got to be where I'm at.
2: Yeah, I, I like how you shared with um, you know, when you're in when you're at university and you're kind of experiencing, you know, just trying to figure out what you want to do, you know, even though you came in with a goal of becoming an oceanographer, I like that how you said, um, you know, the reason why I decided to study physics is because I really liked my professors. And I think that's that's so important for success for students um, and liking their professors and really um, making that connection. I'm, I'm gonna go a little bit, um, I, I kind of wanna continue on this path of uh, discussion about the University of Washington Tacoma and kind of your vision on um, how you kind of took your experiences at the university Uh, when you were going through school and kind of incorporating it to building the program that we have at our school today?
0: So I I think there's a, there's a few things that I brought. One is the interdisciplinarity of my graduate degree program. And then I didn't go right. Like I, you know, I graduated with my PhD in, I don't know, 86. Right. So I'm ancient. Um, And uh, I didn't go right. I, I taught for a year in upstate New York. Uh, in a year sabbatical replacement position at Hobart and William Smith College, which was great. I loved it. And I was looking around for another teaching position because my brain just, I don't know, my brain just thinks teaching-wise. Like I think about when I learn something, I instantly think, how would I teach that to someone else? Or how could I teach it better? And so I just have a teaching brain, which I, I love teaching. Um, and uh, and I was looking around for another position, and I didn't find another teaching position that, that I really was was suitable. And I ran into a guy at a conference and said, Hey, you know, we've, uh, I work for eg and Oceanographic Services in Boston. Why don't you come work for us? We have a big program, uh, uh observational oceanographic program off the West coast of the U S off Cape Mendocino that we're doing in conjunction with Scripps Institution of Oceanography. And we need someone to lead, to lead that, uh, field project. And I said, okay, sounds great. So that was kind of my, what I would call my postdoc, even though I never did a postdoc, um, so I actually went and worked for oceanographic consulting firms for about 10 years after, after my Ph.D., um, and I learned a lot. I learned how to run all kinds of things, uh, you know, write proposals, write reports, interface with various agencies, uh, do field work, run field programs, um, you know, run everything from an equipment pool to the data processing center, so it actually provided me with a diverse set of skills that I was able to bring along with that interdisciplinarity to UW Tacoma. Um, and I would say the other thing that served me well is that my dad, who, you know, was a little uh, surprised that, you know, his daughter really knew, and he was very supportive of me being a scientist, whatever I wanted to do. Um, he he kind of had, and the family had this sort of entrepreneurial attitude that right. anything you can, you can dream up you can go do, right? And my grandfather owned a hardware store, my father was an engineer, but, um, you know, and he had four girls and he encouraged us to do whatever path we wanted to take, which is great, you know? Uh, which back then was not the norm, right? So uh, so I, I think I bring all of that to UWT and, you know, UWT is um, kind of like a frontier town because it's still growing um, and it's a place for risk takers. Because I, you know I tell faculty when we're, when we're hiring lots of faculty right, and new students coming in. this is a place to try new and innovative things. Um, if you want the sort of everyday humdrum biology department or English department or whatever, this is not the place for you. This is a place for risk takers, for innovators. This is a frontier town where, uh, where you are going to try all different things and you're, you're not just going to be the faculty member, you're going to be building a university. And you don't get to build a university every day, so I I actually think, you know, uh, I I often think of myself when when I retroflect that I'm actually a builder, right? A builder of of not only buildings I, I help design the buildings on campus, but also curriculum, uh, mentoring uh, faculty and students, and 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 building a whole new uh, a whole new university, which is kind of fun. Yeah, I like how. Um, you know, your perspective of how
2: you approach building this this program, the University of Washington Tacoma really reflects on Tacoma itself and how we've always been a frontier town, right? We've always done so many wonderful, innovative things. Some things maybe was quite harmful to the environment. And hopefully (laughs) we can talk about that um, in a future uh, program on looking at a sarco. but really, it's, it's wonderful that you still have incorporated the theme and the spirit of, of Tacoma and how, um, you know, teaching and learning and going out there and getting stuff done um, was really your focus. But um, so, so how did you start kind of focus your work and your teaching and the program building to the Puget Sound or the Salish Sea?
0: Yeah. So uh, so that was a switch for me. Um, so when I started at UW Tacoma, my price, so if you look at where I've done research in the past, I started with blue water oceanography. And when I mean blue water, I mean open ocean. Uh, so my thesis area was the Argentine basin in the South Pacific. I mean, uh, South Atlantic, so much for that geography. In the South Atlantic, <laughs> I have moved to the Pacific, right? Uh, yeah. And the Atlantic's much saltier, I might add. Um, so, uh, so my thesis work as a graduate student was open ocean, huge research vessels. You're out a month at a time, and we were studying um, the Argentine Basin in the South Atlantic. And then when I did, uh, when I worked for E.G. and uh, I did a variety of things. I moved closer to shore. I did more coastal work. So I worked off the coast of Northern California. We collected a lot of the data. um, And um, for when BLM was looking to put oil rigs off Mendocino, we provided all the data that went into the models to determine uh, the oil oil modeling. And so oil slick modeling, and and luckily they never put the oil rigs in there, which was great. Um, Stro, can I clarify something? EGG is yeah, uh, a private country EG&G company. EGG is an oceanographic consulting firm started okay. in the, I want to say, 50s by Doc Edgerton out of MIT. Okay. And there, just like uh, there's all kinds of consulting firms, uh, this one focuses on oceanographic projects. And so they do a lot more applied work. So, for instance, other things I did at EGG is I put current meters under the Brooklyn Bridge. and Uh, And we also did a lot of work in Alaska and I uh, and did some work in Alaska looking, uh, you know, to model, collect data and model currents in that region for various applied projects. Later on, I worked for another consulting firm, SAIC Science Applications International Corporation, I believe, Um, and uh, they were based out of the Seattle area and uh, we did some work on the North Slope with BP. Where we had instruments, I called it puddle oceanography because it was very shallow. But they needed to monitor the currents that if there was an oil spill up there, they would be able to contain whatever oil spilled. So it's doing very applied on so the ground projects. The North Slope of Alaska. So you were correct out of Seattle, but you're going up
2: to Alaska and doing consulting yeah. so work. So we there.
0: we worked all over in coastal regions. So all of that yeah. work is coastal, and it yeah. becomes uh, it becomes much more applied because now you're interfacing with people along the coast and mm. and and anthropogenic effects or people effects on on the marine system directly, right? Yeah. So I yeah. moved to coastal work. And then when I moved to Puget Sound, it was like, okay, here we are in Puget Sound, UW Tacoma is right on commencement bay. How can I, uh, and we teach a lot of courses, how can I integrate my research with my teaching so that I don't die basically, right? Cause you, you only have so much time in a day. And how can I get my students out on the water to study Puget Sound? So um, so I, I decided, OK, uh, you know, let's see what are the some of the applied uh, questions or concerns in Puget Sound that that I could address. And I ended up, you know, so I met a whole bunch of people at UW Seattle and. Uh, before I came to UWT, I actually taught part-time at some of the area community colleges and UPS right. and PLU. So I knew all the people there and I kind of networked and said, well, you know, what are what are the issues? And I ended up uh, meeting some uh, some oceanographic faculty at UW Seattle, uh, biologists, because I'm not a biologist, they are. And um, it seemed that we were start we were having problems and we had for years uh, and it was seemed to be getting worse with uh, harmful algal blooms in Puget Sound. And mm-hmm. in particular, uh, uh paralytic shellfish poisoning, which is if you ever eat shellfish and your lips start tingling, stop right there because it could kill right. you. Right? get to the hospital. Right. Um, uh, because this little floaty uh phytoplankton, this dinoflagellate, um, Alexandrium catenella, can actually uh be filter fed by shellfish, ingested by the shellfish. Doesn't hurt the shellfish. But if a mammal like us comes along and eats the shellfish, it, it actually, um, uh, that organism produces a very uh, um, toxic neurotoxin called saxotoxin, and that can result in paralytic shellfish poisoning, which can kill you. And in fact, it's been around for ages. I mean, there's the uh, First Nations have stories about this, uh, when to harvest shellfish, when not. Um, and uh, actually Vancouver's, a couple of Vancouver's men died there's actually something in his logs about uh, a couple of his men rowed ashore and and ate some uh ate some shellfish and they described the symptoms of tingling their their limbs going numb they turned black and they were dead in two hours so, so vancouver was here so vancouver is who uh george vancouver who who uh who was the first to map puget Sound and um and he was here you know in the uh late 1700s and so, uh, you know, it's been around for a long time, but yeah. uh, but uh, some uh, some of the scientists at NOAA have been tracking and the, the Washington State Department of Health monitors the shellfish here, so mm-hmm. that if you eat shellfish in a restaurant here, it is safe, you, they, they should be able to tell you when it was harvested and where it was harvested. So people always ask me, you know, because I study this thing, this organism that causes this, Ah, uh, do I still eat oysters? and And the answer is yes, because mm-hmm. I know that the Washington State Department of Health is doing their job here in monitoring the shellfish for us and and keeping us, uh, you know, basically monitoring the shellfish for human health uh, purposes and keeping us safe. so, yeah. um so yeah, i I still eat shellfish, so and I enjoy it. <laughs> So circling back to
2: connecting this research, so then you've discovered, you know, that there hasn't been a lot of work done with these harmful algae in this particular organism. How did you start incorporating that into the work and the research that you're doing? Well, today, but maybe at the beginning, so kind of maybe take us through how you started incorporating students oh, and, and maybe even the public and, and community in
0: the work yeah. that you're doing. So a couple things. Well, I started asking questions like, what do we know about this, right? And we didn't know a whole lot because they're very, these organisms float around in the water and they're very patchy and they're hard to track. And so um, I also found out that these organisms uh, have a seasonal cycle where they overwinter in the sediments in Puget Sound. And so I asked the question, I said, has anyone ever mapped? Cause it's harder for, they don't move around as much when they're in the sediment, right? So now you have a captive audience, you can go sample. And they said, yeah, I said, has anyone ever mapped these organisms in the sediment in the winter? And then you could give an early warning system to the shellfish growers um, and the health department, right? And and they said, no, no one's ever done that. And of course, the reason people don't do that is most people (laughs) don't like to go out in Puget Sound in the winter and shovel snow off the back deck. Uh, uh, But of course, we said we would do that, right? Um, So that's how it all started uh, by me asking that question. But in terms of incorporating students in to this project. So that was me looking for a research project, right? And I've also done a lot of work with freshwater systems and the Puyallup Watershed, for instance. I was involved with the Watershed Council for years and Commencement Bay. And I've had my my students sample Commencement Bay. Um, Early on, um, Dave Secord and I said, well, what's important for students to learn? And we actually created the curriculum. We sat down over Red Hook beers and Indian food and oh. created the curriculum. And then we figured out students would be here for 10 years, right? So we needed a, we needed a more focused curriculum so that <laughs> students could actually graduate because uh, they didn't have to learn everything, right? Um, and the other, the other things, the other key parts of the curriculum was um, a hands-on component. Mm-hmm. The, you, people tend to remember when they're doing something as opposed to just reading a book, Right and, or, or listening to a lecture. And so you need that hands-on component to really bring it home. And, and so we designed the curriculum, it's very hands-on, there's lots of labs and we required a field course of all our students. And at the time we didn't have a science building. We didn't get a science building until after I'd been at UWT for five years, after I'd gotten tenure, right? We didn't have a science building. We had to design it and build it. So uh, yeah, it's kind of like, you know, uh, running the rapids as you're building the raft that you're on. So, um, (laughs) and so, uh, so Dave and I said, well, you know, Puget Sound is on our backyard and we're going to use Puget Sound as our natural laboratory. And we're going to take our students out in our backyard and they're going to learn about their backyard. And we're also going to take what we learn and give it back to the community." So early on, we set up a collaboration with the city of Tacoma, and we actually uh, they actually take us out on their boats now to do sampling in, in commencement Bay. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's really about setting up partnerships and relationships in your local community, and then and then sharing that data back with the entities that that you're working with. And so uh, it's you know, it, UW Tacoma is not just an urban university. It's really embedded in the local community and and that local community embraces the university. It's a really unique relationship. It's one of the things I really like about being, being at UWT. The other thing I really like about being at UWT is, is the students. Yeah. Our students are motivated. It makes a difference in their lives. I feel like, you know, it's not just, you know, because mom and dad told you to go to school. We have a lot of students that are returning to school, that are older, that have families, that have jobs that are non-traditional students and this is this is this going to the university takes on the next step. And yeah. so involving those students in their backyard, learning about their natural environment in their backyard is is, you know, it's so motivating, right? Cuz you live here. And most of our students stay here and live here and get jobs in, you know, uh, you know, we have students at Washington State Department of Health DNR, Fish and Wildlife, Department of Ecology, City of Tacoma, Pierce County, you name it. Uh, Mm -hmm. There are also teachers out there and in consulting firms. Uh, We've had had students go on to grad school. I mean, but most of our students stay here and continue the study in the backyard. So it's kind of fun when I go to local conferences now, like the Salish Sea Ecosystem Conference, which happens every other year. And and it's uh, every other year in Canada and then in Seattle. I run into all our graduates who are now out there working in agencies, continuing the work, right? So, uh, you know, so it's not just me and Julie studying Puget Sound, it's all our students studying Puget Sound, right? So, yeah, yeah, so that's how we integrated it in. And we started building field courses and taking students out on boats and finding ways to get students on the water or out in the watershed and Mm -hmm. sampling and learning about those systems those natural systems.
2: Thanks, Cheryl. I think um, we're going to take a quick break, but I wanted to, when we return, I want to talk a little bit more about your community partnerships and why the community really should be involved in the work that we're doing. Okay.
3: Hello, this is Eric Hanberg, host of the Channel 253 podcast, Citizen Tacoma, and a proud Alaska Airlines frequent flyer. Everything in our day-to-day life seems to involve more hassle these days. So it feels good that Alaska Airlines is making something easier. Alaska has made air travel virtually touch free. Here's the rundown. When you check your bags at the airport, you won't have to touch the kiosk to print your bag tags. They'll print when you scan your boarding passes, or you can even print them from home. When you board your flight, they can scan your boarding pass from as much as six feet away. Now the lawyers want me to say that this might not work if the lighting in the terminal is low or if the print quality of your boarding passes isn't great. But still, kudos to Alaska for trying to keep physical distancing at every point of the trip. And don't forget, you can pre-order your meal from your phone or from your computer. You can even put your card on file in case you decide mid-flight to splurge on a local wine or beer. Get your drink without pulling out your card. Now that's the perfect blend of convenience, safety, and temptation. Those are the thoughtful details that make me choose Alaska Airlines every time I fly domestically. When you're ready to travel, rest easy, because Alaska's got this skip the travel sites and visit alaskaair.com to book your next flight. Thank you Alaska Airlines for making travel smoother and thank you for your support. Channel 253.
2: Welcome back to give me the mic. Thank you much uh, very much to our sponsors for their continued support of this con- uh this podcast. Can I start that again? Sorry. Blah blah
0: blah. blah.
2: Marble mouth. Okay. Welcome back to Give Me the Mic. Thank you very much to our sponsors and their continuous support of this podcast. So Cheryl, um, I wanted to um, just to, Cheryl's been talking about uh, Dave Cord and, and I just wanted to remind folks um, of the previous podcast, if you haven't listened to it with Catherine Crook, uh, she talks about Dave Cord in her um, podcast and the work that she did with interpreting uh, for um, our Japanese um, guests that were here in Tacoma. Um, but also um, Cheryl did mention the work that we do. Cheryl and I are research partners, we've been working together since 2005. And so this is just a special treat for me to have her share the work that we do. And especially kind of um, giving a lot of the background of the work that we've been doing and, and how we got to where we are today. So we're super proud of the work that our students have, have become. Um, since working with us. So as we we left um, for break, um, you kind of talked a little bit about some of the community partners. And I think the importance of of this podcast in particular is to talk about the connections of community and science and understanding um, the health of the Puget Sound. Can you share a little bit more about your community partnerships and and why you think that's important um, for um, them to understand about kind of the health or the, um, uh, just about the Salish Sea and the Puget Sound in general?
0: Well, I think um, when you live and work in an area, no matter what you do, um, learning about your community in whatever facet of that community that you have an interest is really important. And so of course I'm a scientist and I'm a water scientist. Um, and uh, I'm an, I'm an earth scientist, which means I study earth, air and water. Right. So, so all those systems are connected together. And so uh, early on uh, I got to know not only the educators in the region, like the community colleges, because early on uh UW Tacoma only had years three and four of a four year public higher ed degree. And uh, all of our students were transfer students. It wasn't until 2006 that we had our first freshman class. And so, um, and so the first thing that Dave and I did is we went out to all the community colleges and talked to their science faculty and set up, um, you know, set up uh, partnerships with them to, and we said we're going to start environmental science. Send us your students, right? And and that was kind of fun. And we already knew PLU and UPS faculty, uh, and some faculty at UW Seattle. So it was the network of educators initially, and then um, as we started to develop the curriculum and and the and and in Tacoma, uh, the the other thing that happened when we first showed up, I forgot about this. The mayor. Uh, Brian Ebersaw was the mayor at the time, called us up, called Dave and I up and said, uh, you know, we had just gotten there in 96. And he said, uh, how would you like to sit on the Tacoma environmental commission, which existed then? And we're like, okay. Uh, So, you know, you're instantly embedded in this, in the city of Tacoma and the community. And, um, and of course, we got to know uh, people at Pierce County, city of Tacoma, and uh, initially, before I could get access to boats, I took students out. We did a lot of watershed work initially because it was easier to spin up, and uh, and I worked with um, the Puyallup Watershed Council and met a lot of people there. Also in the environmental divisions for Pierce County and the city, as well as other cities like Puyallup. Uh, you know, Russ Ladley and Char from uh, from the Puyallup Tribe, who's their fisheries biologist, and and, and water quality person. And, and, you know, those are long-standing longstanding uh, partnerships uh, that we collaborate on. And, um, and, and we're all working towards understanding the system and trying to make our environment better for everybody that lives in it. Right. And so uh, it's, it's really kind of fun to know people in all these different realms and then to share to share that experience with students. So I would bring students to the Pialope River Watershed Council for, for instance, right? And then early on, uh early on when I was at UWT, I was also on the board of Citizens for the Healthy Bay. Uh, and Cherry's Ton had originally founded that organization and worked with them early on. I, I've stepped off the board recently, but but they played a large role in, in monitoring uh commencement bay as well. Um and and really it's just setting up uh, partnerships with like um, Department of Ecology, we have a lot of interaction with and students, often students will, uh, uh, they'll take on student interns, which are great for our students. So they get hands-on experience. And so I think students think that you do a project and it's just for this class. I think it, it, it is a lot more motivating and meaningful if you realize the project you're doing or the data you're collecting is actually going to be used by the real world people. Yeah. And, and so uh, you know, getting your students involved with these agencies or community groups or watershed councils or whatever it is in some way, shape or form um, really kind of expands their horizons and also their opportunities. And yeah. it connects, It's all about sort of networking, right? And getting to know other people in your community because you live here. Um, And and getting students to realize it's not just about book learning. You're just, you know, you're basically on this journey and this is another part of your life and you can actually tie it to what you're going to do after school. Um, And and it's all one big continuum.
2: One of the things I know that you... um, make available for students is the ability to communicate what they're doing. Um, so although, you know, they're doing research, right? They're doing research, um, they're collecting data, they're doing all of that stuff, you actually give them these wonderful opportunities to present their work at professional conferences. Yeah. Um, And I know earlier before the break, you had mentioned that you kind of see them at all of these conferences and, and now they're career scientists, right? So you've got them embedded, not only in, um, uh, you know,
0: in research and science, but they're also, they're sticking around. Right. And they're, yeah. yeah. And and what's really cool about this is when we started the program, of course, we didn't, you know, we had four graduates our first year or something when we got the program going and, um, and and so we have a, a gateway course for our majors, and we always bring in a panel because uh, they started as juniors. Remember, because we were transfer, we bring in a panel of of uh, of speakers who have different careers. Right, so maybe it's a teacher, someone that works at an agency or a city, uh, someone um, that's in consulting, someone that went to grad school, whatever. And we and within four years that entire panel was filled with our graduates that yeah. had jobs in all those different areas that, and and so what they tell our students is so much more powerful than what I tell our students, right? Because I got gray air. Um, <laughs> they were actually sitting in those seats, you know, two or three years before, and now they're out there and they can say, this is what you need to pay attention to because it was really helpful once I got a job, right? Um, yeah. And so, and what's really nice is now, our students are out there um, in the Puget Sound region. Uh, a number of them have started their own businesses, um, which is great. And then, uh, and then those alumni and also others that are now working at various locations around Puget Sound, they call us up and say, "Hey, we have an intern. We have an internship this summer. Who, you know, yeah. send us your good students." Right. And so now it's this. Um, You know, it's this extending network, this extending set of relationships and partnerships that is just growing and growing, right, with our graduating students. And so, you know, to me, that's really the definition of success. When you see uh, your students making a difference in their own backyard and providing other opportunities for new students coming out, that's kind of my definition of success.
2: When we when we spoke last week about the podcast and you're like, Julie, can you tell me a little bit about what we're going to be talking about? And I said, well, you know, this this podcast is about badass women scientists, right, who are doing wonderful things. When I was invited to, to host this uh, this short segment, this short um, um, podcast series was is I knew of these really cool women who are diving, who are running cities, they're doing all this stuff. And one of the things that you said to me, which made me kind of giggle because I didn't realize that she, you said, is this uh, all about our, our University of Washington Tacoma alumni show? And I'm like, oh, and it's so interesting that I didn't make that connection very clearly when I was creating these list of guests, you know, to come and talk to me that it had nothing to do with the University of Washington on the surface, but it really had everything to do with the foundation. Is that's where they came from? This is the culture that you and I've been really lucky to to work with you, Cheryl, to create these wonderful people who are sticking around doing great science. You know, um, and thinking about the you know the couple of guests that we're gonna um, finish off this series with. So. So I I really commend um, that your vision that you've done, that you've put into this program has really created some wonderful leaders, you know, in our science community. And yeah, and yeah, it's pretty funny that, you know, it all kind of comes full circle, doesn't it, Cheryl?
0: Yeah, yeah. And, you know, (laughs) you're right, because when you told me the list of guests, I'm like, well, they're all alumni, right? Um, I never says it. <laughs> or or they're or, or they're at the U, uh, and and I just want to say there are lots of other badass women in the area Indeed. that uh, you know work for King County, work for Department of Ecology, Indeed. that are yeah. doing uh, you know, or that are University of Washington, Seattle, and and other places around um, Puget Sound that are doing incredible work um, looking at at Puget Sound with, for instance. Um, the Marine water group with Puget Sound partnership and so on. Right. Um, yeah. And so we work with a lot of those people on a regular basis. And it's, it's yeah. kind of like, you know, we all nerd out together. So. Yeah. Yeah. They only listed, they only gave me six, six spots. So I had
2: to be, <laughs> I had to be thoughtful about who to invite, but yeah, we could do this for years if they, if they let us. Right. Yeah. That's so funny. yeah. <laughs> so Cheryl, um, one of the, your, um, you've had a lot of different oppor- leadership opportunities you know here um, in the Puget Sound um, and some of, one of the things has led you to your current position as the associate vice chancellor for for research and and how is that different or is it kind of the same um, from what you've been doing in the in the past <laughs> with respect to research and why has it become kind of your new mission
0: well, um... I've had a bunch of leadership positions at the university. I was, you know, uh, basically dean of the School of Interdisciplinary Arts and Sciences, like twice. Um, I've always (laughs) picked up um, leadership positions when, particularly when we're in transition. And um, even though that's not, I mean, I'd I'd rather be taking my students out on boats, Um, but, uh, than be an administrator, but I can do it, and 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 I'm pretty good at it. But so when I came back from sabbatical last time, I thought, okay, I'm at a stage in my career where um, I'm always looking for ways to help build the university to you know get it to the next level. And I came back and I kind of looked at looked around and said, what what could I do? What what really needs sort of a shot in the arm? And and I when I looked around, I really felt that. Research and scholarship needed a shot in the arm at UW Tacoma. I think think UW Tacoma does a stellar job on teaching, just stellar. And Mm -hmm. we're very uh, community engaged uh, as a campus and faculty and staff. We have some terrific faculty and staff that have been there a long time. And and so we're strong in, in community connections. We're strong in teaching. But I felt that the scholarship and research really needed to be strengthened. And so that's when I applied for the the head of research position on campus, and I and and I'm recently in that position. You know, I interviewed like the week before we got shut down for COVID last spring, right. and so I started in the middle of COVID, which was really awkward, um, uh, last April. And so I've been in that position about a year now, and all during COVID, which you know my whole my whole gig for taking this was. To, to again build partnerships both uh, across various programs on ca- campus as well as with community partners. Right. Um, and, and that's really hard to do uh, on Zoom, but uh, we have made some progress there and I, I'm pretty happy with that. But it's really all about, uh, you know, the university's greatest resource is its people and being able to support those people and what they do. And really a university, and the University of Washington, I mean, one of the pillars of that is our scholarship and our research and uh, and modeling that and involving our students in that process is really really important part of what we do and so that's how i ended up in this position and uh and i'm hoping when we get back in person in the fall i can actually walk around and walk and talk to people and have coffee with them uh which will be uh which will be fun um because i obviously really enjoy people or i wouldn't do this um, right. but anyway, that's, that's how I ended up with in that position. Yeah. And I know that a part of what you've
2: been in this past year is figuring out how to get people back to campus, right? Like it's always been about, you know, we're following all the COVID protocols and things, right. but getting back to campus was always really important. And, and the fact that we've got students in labs doing work, um, you know, lab work, although they're one at a time, um, has been a, a really big, um, just a a great step towards getting back to research and, and trying to figure out, uh, you know, answering the questions about Puget Sound. So just to let you guys know, I did get over 180 samples from the bottom of the Puget Sound last week from the Department of Ecology, which will be processing uh, for plastics and these Alexandrium cysts. So the research is still happening and we're still exploring all what needs to be answered or at least questioned about the health of the Puget Sound. So, Yeah, I'm, okay. I'm
0: just glad we were able to put together uh, uh, a safe plan. To have people return to research on campus last summer, yeah. um, and uh, and you know it's got social distancing and cleaning everywhere, everywhere, and masks and gloves and all of that stuff. Yeah. Um, but uh, we were able to continue that uh, safely, which was really really important. Uh, and uh, and I'm I'm also part of the team that'll get us back in the fall, so. So
2: kind of circling back um, to the theme is, is um, I wanted to ask one question um, for the community. You know, how as a community member, would I um, learn more about the state? I don't know if the word health really makes any sense, but the state of the Salish Sea, where are we at with Puget Sound and
0: and how do you feel and where can I learn more information about this, Cheryl? Well, the um, the you know, there's so much stuff online now. Uh, The Puget Sound Institute has a really good um, encyclopedia, which is at our center for, you know, run out of our Center for Urban Waters at UW Tacoma, which uh, the Center for Urban Waters is located with the city of Tacoma. It is, uh, we set up a partnership, so they're actually in the same building. uh, And we have a lot of our high end uh, uh, water quality instruments in that building. And we share that with the city of Tacoma. Um, And the Puget Sound Institute is located there and they maintain an encyclopedia of Puget Sound, which is very useful for a quick look. Um, uh, The Puget Sound Partnership has done a lot of work in Puget Sound, uh, you know, from the state level. And and um, and, you know, the the um, uh, King County has done a pretty good job. They, They have a very extensive monitoring program. You can look there. Uh, If you're interested in harvesting shellfish, the Washington State Department of Health has a a shellfish hotline and a website that can tell you all about the shellfish. Um, uh, And Washington State Department of Ecology also has a lot of information on on their website about Puget Sound. So, um, you know, there's a lot of places you can find information. Uh, One of the best places if you're looking for data and sort of a central data storage House of, of uh, both in Puget Sound and along the coast is NANOOS, uh, N-A-N-O-O-S, um, and if you look that up, there's all kinds of things you can explore. And that's not just Puget Sound focus, that's also on the coast, oh, and, and that was kind of Jan Newton, Jan Newton, who's at the Applied Physics Lab in Seattle, he pull that together. Yeah. Um, so those are a lot of the places I think you can look for information. Um, yeah. And for those of
2: you who listen to that, we'll include these in the show notes. So don't worry, we'll get you some of those links um, to listen. But the Puget Sound Institute Encyclopedia for the Puget Sound is a great place to get lost and to nerd out by yourself. Um, Beautiful, uh, nice, concise articles and talk about the state of the Puget Sound. And really that's the focus. Um, King County seems kind of weird. We're in Pierce County in Tacoma, but remember that King County starts at Federal Way and one of the places where Cheryl works and myself, of course, um, is Quartermaster Harbor, which is across from uh, Point Defiance uh, Park. Um, and that's Vashon Island. And that's that's King County. So King County actually has um, been studying and looking in within our region, within the 253, the, the commencement bay region. Um, and then the Washington State Department of Health that Cheryl had mentioned just now, um, has on the front page, right? Right, Cheryl, there's an alert for shellfish harvesting on the front page um, that you guys can get into and, and um, all of the other agencies that she mentioned. So we'll make sure that we include those in the notes. Good, that's great. Yeah, Pierce
0: County has a, has a, um, oh, Pierce a division County. that looks at that as well, right? Uh, we've done a lot of work with King, like you said, just because of Quartermaster Harbor and it's literally five kilometers away from campus. Um, and uh, and and we've done a lot, we've given a lot of presentations to the Vashon Island community about that. So, mm-hmm. plus it's a hotspot for Alexandria and PSP, which is why we were studying it. Right, that parallel shellfish poisoning. Yeah. yeah.
2: Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Good, good, good. Well, um, so I wanted to uh, kind of close out today's conversation with something. So here's something I, I had you hopefully thought about a little bit, but what's one unique thing that you want to share with our listeners, something that's unique and kind of cool about Cheryl Greengrove.
0: Um, I'm one Green Grove unit tall. So when, explain? Yes. when Julie, Julie and I teach a lot of, we team teach a lot of field courses together and Julie is a sedimentologist. She's a geologist by training. And so when we go out and look at rock outcrops on land, right? Cause of course I know geology as well. Um, Julie has me go stand in front of the outcrop because I am exactly five feet tall. And so we, we, we call that one green grove unit and then the students can estimate the, the sizes uh, or the thicknesses of the various layers of this rock outcrop according to green grove units. So there you go.
2: Yeah, so you'll see a lot of pictures of outcrops with Cheryl, one green grove unit. I'll have to try to see if I can find one to share with the podcast. <laughs> That's great, Cheryl. Thank you so much. I just want to thank you so much, Cheryl, for joining us today. It was really fun hearing your stories and about the work that you're doing today and, and how you're supporting a community through education and research. It's just amazing. And I'm really proud to be a partner of yours uh, doing this research together. So listeners of give me the bike. Stay tuned for additional conversations with badass women scientists in the Puget Sound. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you, Julie.
1: Did you know Channel 253 is member supported? I'm producer Doug Mackey, and I hope you will show your support by going to channel253.com slash membership and join. Thank you. Give Me the Mic is part of the Channel 253 Podcast Network. Check out our other shows, Nerd Farmer, Interchangeable White Ladies, We Are Tacoma, Move to Tacoma, Taco Man, Flounder Speed Team, Crossing Division, Citizen Tacoma, and What Say You?
3: This is Channel 253.